Hello, and welcome to the weekly worship podcast for Fuquay Arena United Methodist Church. We think it's important, not just that you listen today, but we would invite you to worship with us today. If you'd like to further engage your faith or the community around you and like to partner with us, uh, please visit our website, fvumc.org, for more information. Also, we'd love to hang out with you on a Sunday morning, whether that's live, online, or in person. Online on Sunday mornings on our website or Facebook page or YouTube channel, you can enjoy the venue with us, which is a worship service crafted for community online, or you can join our live in-person services online at 1010 for our contemporary, 1115 for our traditional. If you'd like to worship in person with us, we have worship at 9 o'clock and 1010 for our contemporary worship services and 1115 for our traditional worship. At the end of the day, we believe that when and where you worship is not nearly as important as that you worship. And so we're so glad to be with you today, worshiping together. Well, hey, everybody, it's great to be together with you. This is week two uh, of our summer series, Favumsi at the Movies, where we watch a movie and then we try to name where some gospel goodness is in the midst of it. Uh, last week, uh, we looked at Turning Red. If you didn't, uh, weren't here for it, I uh, encourage you to check it out. Uh, this week, we're going to look at Encanto, Encanto, a super popular movie. Uh, didn't start out that way. I don't know if you remember, uh, but back when Encanto first came out, uh, did not come out to rave reviews by the critics. Um, they talked about uh, it was boring, overstuffed with characters, couldn't do a lot of character development, vague plotline, catchy music, but not as good as some of the other stuff created by those who wrote it. Um, and uh, But now it's super popular. Everybody's uh, has seen it a lot. And I, I find it really interesting. I find it really interesting that we in America love Encanto uh, as much as we do. And I'd like to try and make my point uh, with that because I think therein lies uh, a, a real word of challenge. I think that Encanto presents, uh, at least to me uh, and maybe to more than just me, maybe to us. Uh, Encanto is a story at root about a family, the family Madrigal. And uh, in a flashback scene, a little bit later into the film, we learn how this family came to be. Uh, Abuela Alma, who's the grandmother figure of this family, uh, she and her husband, who is no longer with them, um, and their three children were fleeing uh, a, an army of some sort uh, in Colombia and uh, so, some sort of violence. And as they do, uh, the these shadowy figures kind of encroach upon them and the the father, the grandfather, kind of stands in between his wife and children and these forces. And uh, and in this sort of selfless act of love, self-sacrifice, uh, this miracle occurs. And uh, there's a candle and the candle stays lit. I mean, this has got so many biblical themes, so many places, so many places we could go. It's been hard to pick one. Um, but that miracle that happens seems to, to carry on with them. And Kanto means like enchanted. Uh, and we see that there's this magical power that protects them in that moment and journeys with them. Uh, there's a candle that stays lit. Uh, this magical power has imbued powers to the house, the casita, uh, that uh, kind of is a character in and of itself. Uh, all of the children, all the family members in this family, they all have superpowers. And those superpowers protect this whole town um, in this really idyllic setting in the mountains of Colombia. Um, and, uh, and everything's great. Until it's not. Uh, literal, actual cracks begin to form uh, in the house, in the story uh, that is the story about this uh, family that everyone loves and looks up to and leans on and respects uh, and requires in, in order to be protected. 
The main character uh, is a character named Mirabelle. She's like the main storyteller. Um, and she's a grandchild of the Abuela. Uh, she's a part of this family. But she's the only one who does not receive magical powers. Uh, she's broken. Uh, she's the one that somehow missed the memo. Nobody knows what happened. She's a true disappointment to the family. And so uh, while everyone loves her and she's there and she's out in public and tells their story, uh, we kind of try to sweep that part under the rug. Uh, it's the part of the story, the family, that we just don't talk about. Uh, that we just don't talk about. Interestingly enough, side note, uh, the Abuela also has no magical powers, but no one seems to mention that. Another sermon for another day. Um, so you got Mirabelle. Um, and, uh, and when the cracks start to form in the foundation and everyone's trying to figure out why that's happening... Uh, they always seem to center on her. And so I think she kind of becomes the culprit for a lot of the brokenness in this family that is uh, sort of made uh, visible by these actual cracks in the foundation uh, of the house, the, the light flickering and sort of becoming more dim. Um, there is also another family member that we don't talk about. We meet him a little bit later on, and his name is Bruno. He's a child of the Abuela, uh, an uncle of Mirabelle. And uh, Bruno, his gift is that he can tell the future. And as it turns out, uh, he's very good at it. And when he tells the future, and it's a future that people don't like, and then it comes true, it seems that he also gets blamed uh, for that. There's a whole song about how no one is allowed to talk about Bruno. This is another character we just kind of sweep under the rug. We don't want to talk about him because... Uh, a, prophets always get picked on, right? We see that in, in scriptures and through our time. Um, but uh, both Mirabelle and Bruno, in different ways, are embar embarrassments to the family. Uh, they're threats to the story of perfection that really is orchestrated by the grandmother, by the abuela. And it, as it turns out, spoiler alert, um, it's that story, it's the demands of perfection that is the thing that's actually causing the cracks in the foundation, this sort of fracturing house, this fracturing family, right? There's this, this outward story that we tell, this outward story that we tell about who we are. And then there's the true story that we try to hide because uh, it's not as pretty or as beautiful or as pristine as the one that we're telling uh, out in public. And it's the tug of war between those two realities that are kind of ripping uh, this house, this family apart at the seams. Uh, as Jesus reminded us, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And that's exactly what we, that's exactly what we see here. Um, as the, the movie kind of continues and resolves, uh, it's these two outsiders, Mirabelle and Bruno, who sort of team up to expose the cracks in the family to confront the narrative of perfection. And in so doing, spoiler alert, they save the day. Uh, and it takes this sort of selfless act of love by Mirabelle uh, that she comes to terms with in the exact same place where her grandfather uh, once had his selfless act of love uh, to free the family from the prison of perfection that has grown up around them. And here's where we're going meta, all right? So just hang with me for a second. Now you know the plot, uh, you know the cause of the problem, you know a little bit of the solution to the problem. Um, let me talk about, I don't know, I don't know if it's America or the West uh, or North Carolina or Raleigh where I grew up, or maybe it was just the people I hung around, I'm not sure. It's my experience, uh, but it's my experience that um, we are really, really good as a people uh, at keeping secrets. We're really good at kind of stuffing the parts of our story that we don't want anyone to see down so that we can present um, an air of, uh, of perfection, of wholeness, of goodness. 
Um, I think that we are experts in our time at uh, choosing the right things to share publicly on our Facebook profiles. We are uh, people who seem to be born to be publicists. Uh, we're all well-trained at cultivating an image. We are uh, rewired to be public relations experts, uh, promoters, masters of spin. Uh, this is how we succeed and excel in our current world. Uh, I mean, again, there's like a whole business that's grown up around people called influencers uh, who do just that. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to be like overly critical. I'm just saying this is this is the world in which we live. This is the world in which we live. And in that world, in that world, not only do we love this movie, which says that we shouldn't live in a world like that. It says that that world is a problematic. Um, but uh, it's a, our favorite song is about Bruno, the one that the movie tries to hide the entire time. I, I find this like humorously ironic. And maybe it's just me. Maybe you're not with me. That's fine. Just stick it out for a few more minutes and we'll get back to the rest of worship. Um, we don't talk about Bruno. This song uh, is made it to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 songs. Now, just so that you're aware, this is the first time a Disney song has made it to number one since Aladdin in 1993 with A Whole New World. For comparison, the closest we've gotten recently would either be Let It Go from Frozen, which only made it to number five, or if you step back a little bit further into the early 2000s, in 2006, uh, Breaking Free by Zac Efron from High School Musical made it to number four. And We Don't Talk About Bruno made it all the way to number one, like higher than Let It Go, which blows my mind. And here's the irony. Okay, we love to hide the less than glamorous parts of our story. And we who love to hide the less than glamorous parts of our story are singing a number one song about not talking about the thing that the song is singing about. Just me? Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Um, I think in the church, we actually are particularly bad at doing exactly what we see the Abuela doing in this story, like putting on an air of, of perfection. And I'm not even suggesting um, that we do it, you know, in an attempt to be hypocritical. I mean, sometimes we are like, we don't expect things out of other, we don't expect things out of ourselves that we do expect out of other people, or we, uh, we want to put a burden on someone else that we're not necessarily willing to put on ourselves. But, um, if you've heard me talk about it before, I talk about it, you know, on and off. Uh, I call it the happy Christian face. Um, this is, uh, I mean, my, like my personal kind of thought of the happy Christian face is, you're driving to church on Sunday morning. When, when we were driving, Sunday morning, we fought worse as a family growing up than ever any other time. And I mean, I just remember like, we would get out of the car. We have bickered all the way to church. Uh, we get out of the car, you know, three in a row, sitting across the backseat of the, the, uh, the when they have minivans, the um, station wagon. I could just remember my parents being like, act like you love each other, right? And I mean, we're all just at wit's end. And we walk into the front door of the church and it's just like, Hey, everything's great. Like things are wonderful. And I think, um, I don't know, there, there's something about, uh, there's something about the way that we understand faith that I think pushes us to pretend that everything's okay, uh, even when it's not. And I'm not saying that we ought to walk into church, you know, on Sunday mornings and everybody should be ho-hum. I mean, it's, it should be a, a an experience that is uh, full of uh, promises of goodness, of things that God is doing in our lives, the gift of God's grace at work in our lives. Like, 
it should be an experience that is fulfilling and whole. And uh, we talk about sometimes it charges our batteries so that we can head on to week. All those things are fine. All those things are fine. Unless they're coming at the expense of our ability to show, to be, to be able to show up like as authentic people with one another and as authentic people um, in the presence uh, in the presence of God. I, I've, I've often tried to figure out why it is that we feel we need to pretend uh, in a sense that everything's okay, uh, even when it's not. I, I heard recently a study about kids um, and their ability to pretend and imagine. And at like age five or six, um, they're like old enough to know that their imagination is something that they can control, like that they can pretend, they can play pretend that something is true or real and they can live in that world, but they know that that's what they're doing. But they also wonder if by pretending hard enough, they can actually make something true, right? Uh, the, the study, I think, uh, puts kids and a, and a researcher uh, in a room with a box and the researcher gets the kid to imagine with them uh, to, to pretend that there is either a puppy or a monster in the box, Right. Um, and then the researcher, after they've pretended that for a little bit, uh, the researcher says, now, you know, we're just, we're playing make-believe. Uh, and the kid's like, yeah, absolutely. We're just playing make-believe. And then the researcher will say, okay, I'm just going to step out for a second. I'll be right back. And they step out of the room and look through the two-way glass. And uh, kids up until like age five, six, sometimes even into seven, like cognitively, they can say to the researcher, I know we were just playing make-believe, but it seems as when, there's, when the researcher steps out of the room, the kid is now processing what's in that box. And for kids that were pretending there was a monster in the box, they slowly edge their chairs away. As if like, I know there's not really anything in the box, but just in case there's a monster, I'm gonna just slide away from it. And kids who thought there might be a puppy in there, they slide closer and closer to it and maybe sometimes even try to like peek in just to double check. Because if they do have the power to create a dog, they want to play with the puppy, right? Um, and, I, you know, the, the research suggests that we lose that superpower at like age five or six, but maybe we don't, right? Like maybe part of pretending um, is not a bad thing. Maybe part of pretending is the hope that if we if we act, if we imagine that things are good in our lives, that things aren't hard, those parts of our story that we're shame, we have to carry shame around, or those parts of our story that we'd rather other people not know, like maybe there's a part of it uh, that we think if we just pretend hard enough, uh, that maybe this thing, uh, maybe this thing will, will come true. Um, it seems as though I think we're not the first people to wrestle with what it means to pretend uh, that everything is good when it's not to pretend to be something we're not. Jesus actually uh, deals with it a little bit himself um, uh, in one of his sermons. Uh, I'm in chapter 6 of Matthew. He mentions the same thing three times uh, in, in verse uh, 1, again in verse 5, and then um, again in verse 16. He says, Beware of practicing your piety, like giving alms, before others, in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you give alms, do it do it in private, he says. And then skipping down, he says, whenever you pray, don't be like a hypocrite, which is just a pretender, right? A play actor. Uh, don't pretend, uh, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, right? In church and on the street corners so that everybody else can see them. Again, Jesus says, you need to be doing these things uh, in private. And then he comes again to fasting. Uh, he says in, in verse 16, whenever you fast, don't look dismal like the hypocrites, the play actors, the pretenders. They disfigure their faces so that others know that they're fasting. 
Don't do that. Clean yourself up and go out so that nobody has to know that you're fasting. Because the goal of all these things is God. Like the audience for almsgiving, the audience for prayer, the audience for fasting is your relationship with God, not how other people see you. But it seems like that's something that we we struggle with a lot and have been uh, for quite some time. I think um, I think the challenge that really comes to me through Encanto is that we've we've got to be careful that we're we stop pretending to be something that we're not because it does have the power to lock us in a prison of perfection, right? It has the power to create these two narratives, these two stories in our life that are tugging of war at each other uh, in our own lives, in our churches, in our families, uh, and they can create uh, cracks and fractures in our foundation. Um, And so I just, uh, I come back to the words that Jesus uses to set up this passage. It it comes just before verse, uh, chapter six, this last verse of chapter five. uh, He says, uh, therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And sometimes I read that and I think, well, Jesus is inviting us to be perfect. That's what we have to do. And that's why we want to fake being perfect. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, be perfect as your heavenly father uh, is perfect. The type of perfection uh, that Jesus is talking about, what I might call Christ-like perfection, I think for us comes through honesty and love. And that's what we see in Mirabelle and in Bruno. We see honesty and love coming to the forefront. Christ-like perfection comes through honesty and love, not through posturing and pride, which is the story, the narrative of perfection that we see that they have to battle against. And so I want to invite us today uh, to, to drop the act. I want to invite us to drop the act. Uh, to stop pretending. I think we got to be a people that talk about the stuff that we don't want to talk about. I think we have to be a people who take a hard look at the cracks in our foundation. Because I think if we can be honest about our imperfections, we can be honest about our need for God's grace. And that is what Christ-like perfection looks like. That's what it looks like for us to be perfect, I think, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So I want to invite you into that type of perfection. uh, an, An honest and uh, through honesty and love, a type of perfection that seeks an honest relationship up in and out, up with God. I think uh, if we uh, try to pretend to be something that we're not in front of God, uh, it's hard for us to press into meaningful relationships with our Creator. We spend a lot of time uh, being busy at creating a, a version of ourselves that we want other people to see us as, rather than becoming the people that God has created us to be. And so if we're going to press into a more uh, honest and upfront relationship with God, I think uh, I think the gift there that God gives us is the gift of confession and forgiveness. And so we've got to press in. We've got to press into that. I think uh, not just up, but in our relationships in with each other, in our families, in our relationships with our friends. Uh, we've got to try real hard not to fit in, uh, try not to keep up, try not to convince others that we're worthwhile, uh, that we're worthy of their love. Because I think the more we try to fit in, Uh, the more successful we are at being loved for someone that we are not, right? The more successful we are at being loved for our persona, the less we truly feel loved for who we know ourselves to be down deep, the less we actually feel connected and accepted. And it's only when we authentically behave that we can authentically belong. And so I think we had to bring some authenticity to our relationships uh, in. And then out with the world around us, I think the more time we spend trying to prove our worth in the world, and I will be honest, the world wants us to prove our worth. The gifts that God has given us, the world wants to put a price on those, wants to commodify the gifts of the Spirit that God has given uh, to all of us. But we see 
uh, in this story, the enemy of this family is not the gifts. It's finding our self-worth in the gifts rather than in the one who has given them to us for a greater purpose, uh, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians for the building up of the body of Christ. So I think we have to be reminded that the gifts that we've been given are for the building up of the body of Christ, for serving in our community, for serving those in our midst. And it's that greater good that we're invited to. And so uh, I want to invite us this uh, this day uh, to, to stop pretending and to, to drop the act um, so that we can have confessing relationships uh, with God in, uh, up, that we can have authentic relationships with each other in, uh, and that we can work together for the greater good uh, as we focus on our relationships out with the world around us. Uh, last word. Um, I just want to say thank you to all the Brunos out there. Uh, just a personal privilege for a second. Uh, truth tellers are people that we sometimes lock in the cellar. Um, I know that I'm particularly bad at wanting to make sure that uh, everything sounds good and positive and healthy and happy. And sometimes I need to be reminded that we can only address the cracks in our foundation when we're willing to look at them. And so today I'm going to choose to be abnormally grateful uh, for all the prophets in my life. Uh, we need you. We need you. Even if sometimes uh, we don't want to talk about Bruno, we need you to keep speaking up. So thanks for the work that you do and uh, keep up the good work. All right. Blessings on you guys as you press into those authentic relationships up with God, in with each other and out with the world around you. Drop the act. Let's make it happen. Again, it's been great to worship together with you today. If you would like to engage your faith or the community around you, we'd love to partner with you in that. You can visit our website, fvumc.org, to find out more information on what that looks like or to reach out to us. I'd like to extend another invitation for you to come and join us online or in person on Sunday mornings live. Uh, and while you're on our website, uh, again, if this is a regular place that you find spiritual sustenance, we'd love to partner with you as we serve our community here in the greater Fuquay Varina area. Um, fvumc.org slash give would help you uh, join with us in all of the wonderful work that happens in and through this family of faith here at Fuquay Varina United Methodist Church. It's been great to worship together with you, and we look forward to doing it again soon.